0: Firefighters risk their lives every day. The hazard of entering a smoke-filled building with zero visibility is something most of us cannot even imagine. While technology has made strides in so many aspects of our lives, yet most existing solutions remain unaligned with the real-world needs of our firefighters and first responders. Let's discuss how innovative use of technology such as behavioral neuroscience, augmented reality, computer vision and 5G can change that. Hey guys, this is your host Ashish Jain from Kairos Pulse and you're listening to the Alignment Podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords and connect the dots between technology, its business impact and challenges in a way that is both accessible and thought-provoking. Today I am with Dr. John Long, a research scholar from UC Berkeley and CTO at Quake Technologies. I met John at Verizon's booth in Mobilewood Congress, Los Angeles, where he was demonstrating some very inspiring work to help firefighters save more lives and stay safe. Not only is the work he is doing quite interesting, but also John's background and journey are quite extraordinary. Together with John, we will dig into many details that will help us align exciting facts on our learning behavior, human performance under stress, the role of computer vision in 5G technology, and the adoption challenges of new technologies by fire departments. So let's kick it off and hear more from John.
1: Oh, hey, thanks, Ashishi. Yeah, hi, t- hello to all your listeners out there. Yeah, I'm the CTO of Quake Technologies. We're, we uh, are trying to solve a, a really important problem. All kids know that it's the, in a fire, it's the smoke that kills you, not the, the fire itself, not the flames, very often. And a lot of us don't know, though, is that firefighters can't see those conditions. The smoke makes it so they can't see. And so many of them currently get on their hands and knees tapping against the wall looking for downed victims. There's some technology that exists out in the market, handheld thermal cameras in particular, some hands-free. And a lot of what we do with see-through is, uh, I think, dramatically improve the interface for using thermal cameras by combining them with modern display technology like augmented reality, like uh, heads-up displays, and then bringing in a connected piece by being able to stream the thermal feed that the individual fire service member is using to see through smoke back to the incident commanders. And you create this kind of connected first responder group that we're hoping will be a lot more effective at keeping us all safe. My background is in behavioral neuroscience and, and computer vision. I can't believe it to say it, I have about a 20 year career in neuroscience, where my emphasis was on learning and behavior related to learning, wondering about how the brain changes as we learn, how a a child can come up to a piano and initially bang on a few keys, and within a kind of remarkably short period of time, transform their posture, their articulations of their hands, and then playing a beautiful piece of music. And I spent a lot of time working on how the brain changes as a function of learning, what learning behavior is, what does it mean to learn, and early on an aspect that you have to take into consideration, I learned, is, is stress and how distractions, how anxiety can really disrupt the learning process. So I did my, my undergrad and my PhD at UC Berkeley, go Bears, and where I was actually in a brain machine interface lab was the where I did my PhD of Dr. Jose Carmena, and that's where I started getting really into real-time feedback control systems where we you're really trying to link in uh, technology with the timescale of human perception and action at that time I really got into advanced sensor technology accelerometers cameras and uh, honestly I, I that was the point where my background in kind of mathematics and statistics I was always kind of a maths kid started taking me away from pure, in the cell biology of the brain into thinking about the interface between technology and the human mind. I, after I finished my PhD, I went to the New York Medical Center in the Learning and Memory Lab of Yuri Bajaki, where I made a, a multi-camera system for tracking our, our behavioral subjects as we were studying an area of the brain called the hippocampus that's related to memory formation. And that's where I got quite expert at multi-camera geometry, image processing, high-speed computing. But that was also the time at which I started getting more interested in immediately impactful technology and less interested in kind of basic research publication. I started doing some pro bono work, did some work in the medical sector because I was associated with the medical center. Ended up doing some work at the Smithsonian associated with some of that medical work did a little consultation with somebody that's doing some uh, photogrammetry for some uh, satellite data collected at NASA. And through that, uh, just kind of extending my portfolio, I met the the CEO, my co-founder partner, Sam Kosman, who was doing some volcano explorations of all things, and he couldn't see through. He was rappelling down the face of a volcano, which seemed like the dumbest thing I'd ever heard of, but he couldn't see, and he wanted hands-free thermal and it didn't exist at that time. And that led him to our other co-founder, Omer, Haji Omerglu, who's a quite quite excellent industrial designer who had made a concept for a, a helmet, and smoke diving But neither of them were technologists who actually could build it. And so serendipitously, Sam had met my one of my contacts, the person I worked with at NASA, and he recommended me as somebody to talk to about maybe being able to build it. So back in the fall of 2015 I got a call from this guy Sam Cosman offering to take me out to brunch to pitch an idea and that kind of started the interest in our working together because he he told me about it and based upon my skills and what I knew I thought it, I could do it.
0: That's some story John so from UC Berkeley to research doing in the medical field and now created a device yeah. more from a perspective of a public safety. How is that transition? So what I hear you say is you, you're you a computer vision, image analytics guru. I didn't know when I first talked to you about your background in the neurosciences and behavior patterns, which is very interesting, and I think that is very complementary to what the firefighters go through in a stress situation. I think bringing some of those those experiences is, is you know, highly complementary in what you're doing. So tell us a little bit about this this product that you built. How do you think this this has been possible and what role do you think 5G has played in it?
1: Yeah, well, to your first point about, you know, how I kind of went from research to the public sector, the opportunity, I jumped at it immediately. Because for a while, I was kind of struggling with the question of, like, why am I doing this research? mean, I always found it intrinsically interesting. But as I got older, having a positive impact on the world around me got very important to me. And and I had struggled with that at some points in my life, trying to figure out how to do it. I know I was getting a little bit dissatisfied. Not that, I mean, first of all, I love research. I love science. I think I'm a scientist to my core. Anybody who is interested in studying the history of science will find a, a proud institution with an important people we should all know about. That being said though, I don't think all good science and all good scientists are just in academia. I saw this opportunity as a as a way to do all the things I wanted. It was intellectually interesting. This is a solvable but hard, complex problem that had behavior and technology and like trying to do you know, working in difficult environments. It's cutting edge technology, so the problem is interesting from that regard. And then also go to bed and wake up in the morning being like, hey, I'm working on something that I can be proud of. And I was very happy with that. And so how does our technology do it? I mentioned earlier that see-through uses thermal imaging cameras and augmented reality to make it so firefighters can see, right? They can't see now in the smoke. It uses image processing that is optimized relative to my background and early vision and my understanding about how the brain can recognize shape and contour information, which is necessary for navigation more quickly than object identity and recognition. So we strip a lot of the details away and we just give this kind of cartoon-like line drawing that is just what you need to kind of get from A to B. We also do onboard camera tracking so that if the fire service member under the extreme stress loses their way, They can know that their system has been keeping track of their trajectory, came in and so the event that they need to get out, it can be overlaid as a visualization on their AR system. And all those are absent any connectivity, right? We have to be able to provide value to the fire service member in the absence of connectivity. And that value there allows that initial what we call assisted perception, augmenting the abilities of the fire service member through advanced sensor technology and onboard computing. The connectivity piece comes in, I think is also very interesting and very valuable, is being able to stream out video stream that the first responder, the firefighter right in the flames is seeing to their commander outside does a lot of cool things. Current scenario is, if you're a commander sending your people on harm's way, they run into a smoke-filled building and your only lifeline is push-to-talk radios, which is fine to a certain extent, but I don't know about you, but when I'm really stressed out, my verbal fluency goes down. This is a general thing. When you're really stressed out, And those moments where people are most concerned about you, unfortunately, we can't find the words. Well, being able to stream out the video lowers that communication burden, because the incident commander can just click on your stream on a tablet and see what you're seeing. Huge value there. Now, you get a bunch of firefighters going in, all streaming out their video, all creating camera tracking data that is also getting streamed out. And now, your first responder team becomes a dynamic filming crew that is on the ground, Mapping the environment of the emergency zone in real time, giving you that actual information that allows the incident commander and his team to organize and coordinate more effectively. The end result, and this is getting, you know, I find this really interesting from a human action, human organization perspective, you end up having enhanced frontline responders, increased group coordination. And hopefully, uh, resulting in a future where emergencies are managed uh, even better than they are now, dramatically. So, That's pretty interesting. And when
0: you talk about the, f- the connectivity piece, is that where the, f- the 5G is coming into play and mm-hmm. and being able to stream all that dynamic data, the video streams back into
1: the command center? and <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I mean, with current 4G, we can handle small groups, right? Maybe a fire team of, you know, an engine of... Mm-hmm. Three or four people, maybe an incident commander outside for five, but as soon as you have a larger event, and it begins to scale. You're dealing with video data here. You know, you're getting all those camera trajectories you need to be fused through a server. At a certain point, your bandwidth requirements, which then relate to your latency requirements. You know, you need a you need a fire hose. <laughs> Pardon the pun. You know, you need a be able to ram a lot of data through and process it quickly. And that's where the combination of the bandwidth of 5G with the low latency mech, so-called the edge computing, becomes very useful. And
0: where is this mech sitting? Is that sitting in the, the firefighter's truck? Is it sitting
1: in the data center, or where is it sitting? Well, I mean, first and foremost, it's important to be clear that the thing that differentiates the edge computing from the standard kind of cloud service computing is that it's within the Verizon network. It's within network servers. Now, that is up to Verizon or where the network provider to decide where those are. From my perspective, the only thing I want is that, you know, it's localized within the region that I'm interested in, you know, that I'm operating in, whether it's California or, or New York, and, and that I can have fairly good quality of service guarantees on the latency Right so is it on the truck is it in the lamp post is it you know base stations around i mean that's the future Verizon's looking towards but the main thing that i'm excited about is as we at quake technologies are deploying our technologies we are not in market yet we are going to be doing a pilot uh, this uh, coming spring of 2020 with boston fire department and then we'll begin to go through the final certification process to go to market and I think the timing is going to work out where we can do initial market deployments on 4G, and then as 5G matures, we can do 4G, 5G radios, and then really kind of expand out. I think our time frame is lining up with Verizon. So you're saying it does not
0: really have a dependency to launch on 5G I mean, you can do that. I mean, you were saying earlier on 5, 4G itself, you can do like a smaller trucks with fewer people, but the economy is really, I mean, the benefit really comes in when you are, have full flown 5g deployed
1: with for sure for sure i mean let's put it this way you know i think i think we can do some deployments on 4g i have no doubt that we can on 5g okay, okay. absolutely
0: now one thing which you know i you and i had that discussion earlier is a lot of time products comes to market you know just because it's a cool technology right how, how did you come up with this product and have you talked to any fire, de, fire departments and understood their perspective. I know you, you come from an image analytics background. Uh, you mentioned your CEO had an instance with where he experienced a problem. So yeah. those are all right triggers to create a product and bringing experts together. And there was another one who had an experience in building the right technology and he was at NASA, right? Yeah. What kind of a market validation have you done in terms of really understanding whether this is really a problem for the firefighters or the, pro- or the people you're trying to solve this problem too?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I'd like to emphasize that my background is also very much in behavioral neuroscience, right? And so that comes with a certain education and methodology. So from day one, when I started working with Sam O'Meara on this technology, I got some sensors and started playing around, started stitching some things together. And as soon as I had something that I was like, okay, I think we have something we can begin to work with. First thing I said, all right, we got to make friends with some firefighters and, and start putting this on them. Because I have no interest in, in, in a top-down model where I just... Uh, uh, some kind of like, we're on Mount Olympus, we build something, and like, here you are, be grateful. It's just like, that's not... It just doesn't make sense to me. So early on, especially given that we're trying to make a piece of technology for people who operate in, in stressful environments, you got to remember, under stress, your memory decreases, your ability to multitask decreases, your attention becomes very focused your verbal fluency goes down you know these are well documented uh, uh, adverse effects of stress and all that points to you better know if you're making a piece of technology your users behavior what their needs are their understanding of the problem step back watch them do their work and objectively see the problems they face because sometimes what people tell you and what you actually see when they do it are two different things study your intended consumer, your intended user, and then make the technology to them. So basically we needed to take our model of what the problems they're facing were reconcile that against educating ourselves upon the work that they do so we can make a properly targeted piece of technology. And that is a part of what we bring to our entire process. That is a core value of our company which we think will go beyond the fire service. First of all, we'll be happy if we can get to market in the fire service and be successful there, but I think that linking of technological solutions to study of end-user behavior to bring a targeted product is is a very core value of Quake Technologies.
0: Awesome. How big of a problem is it? I mean, how many firefighters departments are we
1: talking about just in the U.S. and maybe globally? Well, in the U.S., there's over 27,000 fire departments. You know, a lot of them range from full-time workers to a lot of volunteer fire departments. There's like 250 Big ones. That's your FDMY, your San Francisco, your Seattle, Miami, Houston, with Madison, Wisconsin, Wisconsin etc. And there's you know loss of life every year. I live in New York City, and not a week goes by that you don't hear about a loss of life, of either people in a burning building, or a fire service member dying, either immediately from some accident or from the health. In carcinogens, the cancer of exposure to these toxic environments over the course of their lifetime. So if we can create a technology that saves lives, both of the victims of fire events, as well as reducing the exposure of firefighters and the cancer risk over the course of their life, I don't know, I think that's a big enough problem to, to work on. Great.
0: And, and how does this work? Is it like a, a spe- special type of an helmet that you know the firefighters need to carry? Is it like a smart glass or what is it?
1: Yeah, we have two embodiments that we're working on right now. One is an in-mask system that is built to integrate into something called the self-contained breathing apparatus that firefighters wear. It's the mask and breathing tube and air tank that you see them wearing when they go into a burning building. Uh, We're also making a helmet clip-on, an accessory, like a flashlight that they already attached to their helmet. Same software stack, same sensors, but a different form factor. The latter allows us to get into market and, and to sell to whomever pretty quickly. The in-mask system is trickier from a regulatory perspective because it's a life critical piece of technology. But yeah, those are, our first piece in market will be the, the helmet clip on.
0: That's great. Now in any technology that comes out, right, there is also there's always an adoption curve and there is uh, an education that needs to be done in the mass market, a mass adoption of anything. Where do you see, let's assume everything is in place, the technology is right, the compliances are met, the, the carriers have lined up, money is there, everything is in place. Right. Where do you see challenges still out there in getting this adopted by the target audience that you're targeting?
1: Yeah, you know, that's something that keeps us up a lot at night. The helmet clip-on solves a lot of the problems that we were running up against with the in-mask system because the in-mask system being a life-critical piece of technology, aside from higher regulatory and compliance barrier, there's also, we learned the psychological barrier, right? If people know one mask that they've used before and you're not building your system to that mask because you don't have a partnership with that mask maker... Even if you make your system into uh, another mask and provide a 5x value, there's that psychological anchoring of like, hey, this this piece of equipment keeps me alive in a fire, so I'm going to stick with it. Breaking that kind of psychological anchoring through the helmet clip-on has been very helpful because we were worried about getting stuck in this kind of siloed purchasing behavior. Getting the cost down... Fire departments, firefighters, you know, they don't have the most money in the world. Fortunately, I think the technology through the larger consumer markets of AR and gaming in the automotive industry, actually, has really driven down the cost of a lot of the core components. So I think we can hit the price point. What I worry about is the person building the technology is just, you know, firefighters break stuff. Their job is to, like, get in there. These are big, powerful people, carry a lot of gear that are they're built to, like, Grab human bodies and drag them out quickly, you know. And so, you know, I'm just wearing the braking everything. You know, we spend a lot of time, you know, doing like simulations from the environmental aspects, like the uh, heat, uh, the humidity, and then drop testing, and you know, just how much aftermarket service we're going to have. And we're doing the best we can in terms of embracing industrial industry best practices to, to have a good guess on that. But we're just going to find out. You know, and as a CTO, i got to be worried about that, right?
0: So what another area where I see, you know, an adoption challenge in adoption or the learning curve is the implementation of the technology itself. I mean, the device is great, right? From a firefighter perspective, you definitely have to make sure of the aesthetics, the robustness, and the aspect of how it's, the usability aspect. Yeah. But I'm sure there's a lot of technology behind it which makes it possible, which an IT guy in that fire department has to worry about do you see that as a challenge for an IT guy where, you know, okay, I need to bring in an infrastructure which I've never thought about before to be implemented right. in a fire department. Now I have to learn this thing. Yeah. Do you see that as a challenge or do you see that as, no, it's not plug and play and it's much easier than
1: that? Well, you know, this isn't the 90s anymore, right? We kind of live in the end user software era. It, it's coming, again, coming from behavioral science where I just like accept it has to be easy. You know what i mean you can't go to an it guy or gal at a fire agency and be like you gotta do this and this and this and that we all have apps on our smartphones they all set the bar for usability of these things and we have to meet that bar right it's got to be easy got to turn on quickly it's got to be intuitive you know and that's where i think a lot of our just we just user test and user test we have some fire departments i'm sure are sick of hearing from us but we keep coming back to them because we got to get it really close to right before we go to market because people aren't gonna they're gonna try it once and if it doesn't work that's it you know
0: that's great thanks john this was an interesting conversation we'll definitely keep our eye on it Thank you. Cool. What we heard today is a classic example of passion and technology coming together to solve a genuine problem. It has certainly opened my mind to new possibilities, and I hope whether you are a technologist or an entrepreneur, this has sparked an idea or thought in you as well. Do reach out to me on my LinkedIn or write to me at ashish.jain at kairospulse.com with your feedback and suggestions and stay tuned to our podcast for more such exciting discussions thanks john once again for sharing your insights with us